Welcome to Various Things. I'm Gary Lama. Today's interview is with artist Jack Lawrence. Jack began showing his work in the late 90s, and over time, he has built up a skill level that is truly astonishing for any painter. His work, painted so realistically you may think it's a photograph, is usually made from stage sets he creates by hand, transforming his personal spaces, hiring actors to stand in, and then pulling that moment together with the painting as the record of the moment. As you can probably imagine, his work is an extension of a precise vision he wants to execute. And with this life around painting, he began struggling with and then overcoming a variety of addictions, resulting in him now evaluating how to reapproach painting and life from the mindset of sobriety. It was awesome to get to talk with Jack and understand some of the amazing bits of his process, as well as heartening to hear his own reflections on life and what makes value to him. So with that, Here's our conversation. Enjoy. How did you get into painting? Um, let's see. I, I, when I was a kid, I drew. Uh, my parents were sort of greasers and country people, but uh, they, uh, my pop's dad was a sign painter and a piano player and all that. So they had arts somewhere in the DNA, and they... Uh, they saw that I could draw a little bit when I was a kid and they encouraged me to do that. So when it came time to go to college, uh, they sent me to VCU and I, I was a sculpture major. My, my, my pops, a, uh, he's kind of an every tool man kind of, kind of guy. He, uh, he built our house, designed oh, wow. it, built it and he could fix cars and he installed draperies and, uh, he was a drapery installer, which I, I did not know, or I didn't really consider that that's really what he was until I was like, God, I had to be 25 years old. I asked him, I, I went to go call my mom, uh, my mom about fixing my sewing machine. And my dad answered and he says, well, well, what's wrong with your sewing machine? <laughs> and I said, Oh, there's something it's, it's snagging on the material going through. He's like, well, have you adjusted the feed dog? And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Then he, you know, and he's, He's uh he's he did the uh, Clinton Oval Office like the draperies in there and the Eastman Kodak wow. and did a whole bunch of crazy, crazy uh like high uh high visibility places and um so the guy you know he's got a lot of uh, uh, hand tool knowledge and I've I got that from him but uh, so I went into as a sculpture major at VCU and a painting minor and was there for about a year and a half. Um, and I wasn't a really good painter. I had good. I, I had a teacher who was a good artist, but not not a very not the greatest uh, painting teacher. And I realized that just uh, scholastically, I was just I have to teach myself how to how to do everything. I've, I've got some 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 strange quirk of my brain. I'm, I find it hard. I'm. It's not that I'm unteachable, <laughs> but right. I, I have to. Uh, I, I'm more hands-on. Like if I want to do something, I just start doing it, uh, and I, I learn really quick. And and uh, but for whatever reason, painting just just wasn't wasn't in focus. And after about a year and a half, I realized that I was just wasting their money. So I came back home, and somewhere in there, I got addicted to amphetamines. <laughs> oh, wow. A long story in itself. I mean, it was not anything crazy, you know. Uh, it was uh, it, it started off as uh, just white crosses. I was having like panic attacks and bouts of uh, what felt like mania. Mm -hmm. And uh, somebody had mentioned just like, well, why don't you take uh, amphetamines? <laughs> and oh, I started wow. taking those and uh, son of a gun, after about two weeks, I stopped having because the panic attacks were crippling. And, uh, and what I thought was mania, uh, I don't know what it was. I had all sorts of <laughs> crazy shit in my head at the time. All that went away, uh, but then I got the I got the addicted to amphetamines. And one of the side aspects of amphetamine addiction is you get the hypographia, not like in the clinical sense, but like you, <laughs> you know, like uh, uh, sitting around making stuff with tinfoil and uh, you know writing a lot, a lot of writing, a lot of drawing, and out of that came a lot of painting. Not necessarily what I'm painting now, but just you know. And paint. force you to develop a a technique or something. Um. Well, I didn't really. I mean, I always like doing sort of uh, represent representational stuff. You know, like people and 
and whatnot. Uh, and I, I, uh, I remember I was particularly bored one day and I found this, uh, uh, this picture of, of a buddy of mine and I thought, uh, I thought I'd like to paint it and I started working on it. And whereas before, you know, I, I was really having, having problems like with color or one thing or another mixing color somehow it worked out. And, uh, and then I got really super laser focused on just mixing color. And, uh, after a while, like it all, it all started to make sense, but, uh, I had, I didn't really have anything to say, but you know, at the time what I was doing, it was just, you know, making pretty pictures. And, and how old were you around this time? I was probably around 21, 22, something like that. Okay. And so you had dropped out of school, and so you're doing this on your own now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I've, I've always, uh, I, you know, my dad had a, had a, uh, a workshop that uh, I practically lived in from, from like 16 to 22. Uh, when I wasn't in college, you know, I, I had to, you know, I was – if I wasn't like, uh, you know, welding something or, you know, carving something or painting or doing something, I was, you know, I was sleeping. <laughs> so oh, cool. I spent a lot of time in the, uh, I spent a lot of time in his, in his, uh, workshop. So when you're going through that and kind of developing this painting thing, at what point did it become apparent to you that like, this was something that you actually felt, you know, was was becoming your thing well that's funny i uh so i i come back from from college not really defeated but not really having like any kind of direction you know i really had no no self-awareness of like what i was going to do with my life or where it was going and i, I came back and i worked in a in a record store this mom and pop record store uh for a while i worked in a bookstore for a while assistant managing that and and I'd come home and I'd just do anything to keep my hands busy. And at some point uh, in college, I'd, I'd found my, my first love, uh, this guy named Tim. After I left, we wound up having this long-distance relationship. And uh, at some point, I'd, I'd, I just I didn't know why I was still living in Northern Virginia and just moved down back down to Richmond where he was. So... I um, packed everything up and I moved down. I had this painting that I did. There's a gay bookstore, Phoenix Rising. You know, this is back in back in the '90s uh, when the the culture wasn't so flooded with queerness. I mean, it, it, if it was, it was because you know everybody was dying of AIDS. Um, right. <laughs> so people, right. the only place for for uh, you know gay and queer folks to get together was usually like you know your local, you know gay bookstore or whatever. So, you know, being in a new city and, uh, you know, putting on this new pair of pants, you know, this adjusting to being gay, I guess. I, uh, I showed up there a while they, and they, you know, of course asked me what I did. And I said, Oh, I, I paint. And they saw one of my paintings and I, they said, Oh, you know, we can hang it up here. And so they, they hung it up. The painting was, uh, I don't know, your typical homoerotic art. It was a couple of shirtless guys like, uh, like wrestling. It sold within a week, but the guy and they, you know, they, you know, I got you know a little bit of money for it, and the guy says, "Well, I can't tell you who bought it, but they left you a they left you a letter." And uh, so, give me this letter. It says from a secret admirer, and um, they talked about, I guess, you know, what they liked about the painting. But then they go into like a little bit of their personal life. Talked about roller skating in New York, and uh, sewing. They did a lot of sewing filling of hats and a milk bottle. And I thought, no, this is really crazy. This is awesome. I, I, I'm going to write this guy back. And so I, I started writing some story I was working on back to the guy as a letter. You know, I thought that was the thing to do instead mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, I had no idea what the hell to write this guy. And, uh, and I left it at the, I left it at the bookstore and then I get uh, a week goes by and I get another letter. And, uh, it goes more in depth about, you know, this guy's family. And I started, I wrote him another letter, sort of continuing the story. And then I get another secret admirer letter back from him. So finally I realized I'm doing more writing than painting. Cause at the time it went the, the first second, this 
that I was able to sell a painting, I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to sell paintings. That's just what I'm going to do. I'm going to be an artist. I'm going to make my money selling paintings. So um, I was constantly painting at that, at that time. It was like, a, it's always happening within a month, about a month's time, you know, of like writing this guy back, I sell the painting, you know, I've, I've already got fingers and other pies about people, you know, wanting a painting. So I asked the bookstore guys, like, look, I can't, I'm spending more time writing this guy than painting. Uh, who is it? And they said, oh, it's uh, Ignatius the Hatmaker. And, uh, and I was like, <laughs> well, that sounds like lunacy. Ignatius the Hatmaker. Well, I've, I've got to meet this guy. So I put it into the guy at the shop, you know, it's like, can you, you know, tell this guy I want to meet him. And somehow we organized it to where I was going to meet him at, uh, at, at, uh, at a restaurant. We, I show up and, uh, we hit it off. We, he just asked a lot of questions about what I was doing and why I was doing it. I really didn't have any answers for him, but he was he really was into the idea that, that I, I was new to this, new to painting. He saw something in what I was doing uh, that he wanted to support. And uh, he wound up pretty much outfitting me with a whole bunch of paint. And uh, wow. he was in this warehouse at the time. And, uh, and he says, uh, you should come stay in this warehouse and I'll set you up. And all you got to do is paint. Oh, and, hell yeah. And, yeah. That's, that's, that's how it all, that's how it all started. It's probably there for a, for a year before uh, him and him and his partner Rod moved out, and then uh, somebody moved in. They didn't <laughs> they didn't like me at all, so they kicked me out. But uh, yeah, somebody <laughs> took over the lease, and they, they were like, "Get get your ass out of here." So, but that was yeah, that was that was the start of everything. It was kind of a big deal for me. That that was gave me enough time to make connections with people and get become part of like an artistic community and you know put my name out there. And it's not like I was. Uh, at the time, a really good painter at all. I, I, I was like in the real, you know, pediatric stages of painting. Like it was, it was not, the paintings weren't that great, but uh, I was, uh, you know, thank God I had amphetamines. I was, I was doing a lot of it, doing a lot of painting. And I was uh, just doing a lot of, I guess it was like, for me, it was like going to school. This style wise, was this close to the style? Because, because the interesting thing about you is, you know, we live in this time that is very, like, don't fucking paint a figure. And, like, you paint these super real – I mean, I wouldn't even know how to describe it except as, like, you know, you can't tell if you're looking at a fucking photograph sometimes. Um, was it that realistic, these paintings that you were doing? Like, like the style – or were you kind of stylizing it up or something like that? It was a little bit of stylization, but that came out of uh, – I think that that just came out of, of, of sort of the um, the newness of me of my painting. Once I got rolling, like uh, you know, it, it started developing pretty quickly from there. But uh, yeah, at the beginning, it still looked like I was pushing around mud. I remember a painter friend of mine had come over, and he's like, uh, you know, that's good and all, but it's so it's so brown. <laughs> like you're pushing around mud you know and it, it got me really angry because this was one of those dudes that that was like uh everything was uh uh um had to be this old school technique you know and, mm -hmm. and he would uh talk about doing everything with with actual powdered powdered just only powdered marble and and getting these these highly polished uh you know creating these highly highly polished forms to paint on and you know, had to lay down an underpaint, underpainting. And at the time I was like painting on doors. I was painting on chunks of wood, like anything you could get me, you know, to, to paint on. I was, I was, I was doing it, you know, and, and I, I, <laughs> I was just kind of resentful to, but he was right. You know, I was, I was moving around mud. So if you get me, if you get me angry enough, I suppose I'll, I'll, uh, I'll fix what I'm doing. So, yeah. I think when painters think of painting just because of how they've been exposed to it, they all kind of somehow have an idea of what painting is, you know, like just kind of the way that they view things, you know, so like if someone grew up thinking that, you know, painting was some kind of um, impressionist thing, like, you know, they'll think that's painting. Um, why do you think you gravitated to painting so realistically? Oh, that was definitely the amphetamines. 
Oh really? <laughs> yeah. The and it, this is this is funny. It's the it, yeah. It's the, the ridiculous atten- attention to detail. I mean, why people and not like toasters or dogs or you know landscapes like I, that? I don't know. I, I just I gravitate towards uh, representational. You know, doing people for whatever reason. That's that's. I, I think I'm I'm more interested in. I'm more intera- interested in the the interaction within the painting or uh, the setups. You know, I mean, at the beginning, it was just easy enough. People would come over, and you know, friends would come over, and I'd uh, I'd come up with some verb, you know, do this, and then I'd photograph it and use that as a reference. And but later, the situations that I would set up would get really complicated. Like I'd build sets, so costumes and cut hair, just design all the elements within it and just put it on just like a play. I'd, I'd look for, I guess, actors <laughs> in this thing. Um, so it got really complicated after a while. And that was wildly more fun than painting. I created sort of my own trap. The, uh, the detail of the painting uh, after a while, it just became overwhelming, and that was that was totally the amphetamines. And this is funny because years go by, twenty years goes by, and I wind up. I got into crystal meth for uh, off and on for about eight years. That totally wrecked painting for me. Uh, and then I got off of that. How did and, it wreck painting for you? Uh, you get to you get to focusing on one element of it. His painting is, is a lot like three-dimensional chess. Mm-hmm. It, it's not that complicated, but it's like there's a lot of elements, not just color or tone or anything like that, but there's a drafting element of it of just being able to create the shape that you want. And, it, and when, you, when you're on speed, you tend to get stuck doing one thing. So like, let's say I'm trying to find, I'm trying to make the right line, the right silhouette or something like that, and then color goes out the window. So, you know, you'll, you'll have it like dra- uh, draftsman-wise, you'll have it just right, but everything looks terrible. I mean, it just looks gotcha. It's not painted in the wrong, you know, you're not paying any attention to color, you know, whatever. So and one thing that I, I discovered after I quit, I mean, in the whole time I was doing, there's something, something about it, like painting. It's not that it gave me a migraine, but I really was not enjoying it for years and years and years and years and years. Even though, you know, I loved having the ideas. I love setting up the reference for the painting. I, I really like when painting worked when I was doing it and it felt right. But it was like I had to get myself. I had to really screw myself into some sort of headspace, you know, and I look back on it. Now it's all brain chemicals. I get it now uh, because what uh when i when i quit amphetamines altogether uh i could not do anything and i realized i had no attention span and i've always been that way i've had a short attention span so uh when i got off of it i could not paint detail i could not sit down in front of a canvas for any length of time and and paint the way there's no way in hell i was painting anymore the way that i used to and that dictated my style because I'd started taking amphetamines before I started painting. My style started with that. And then when I, uh, you know, when I finally quit, it was like, what am I going to do now? You know, I've got 20, I got 20 plus years of people seeing uh, my work in a, in a certain, in a certain way. When you get wrapped up in drugs and you get wrapped up in speed, like, uh, like I, ch- I'm an addict to the nth degree. Like I'll chain smoke anything that'll take care of my anxiety. Like Mm -hmm. I have crazy, crazy anxiety and I deal with, I deal with it just by either being in a totally different headspace or uh, some sort of oral addiction. So it's usually lots of smoking, lots Mm -hmm. of drinking and all that time of trying to get myself in the right headspace to paint. You know, I don't know how I did not have a stroke. You know, I'd be up for, you know, at the worst of the times, I'd be up for days. I'd be chain drinking, be chain smoking, you know, like, like really, really going for, going for the grave. And not like I was cleaning my house. <laughs> I was painting. I really started resenting painting. 
I remember uh, I had a show at Orange Door Gallery and one of my, uh, my about the artist statement, you know, I, I go into it. It's like I, I, the, in the statement, I, I say to get these things done, I, I have to use powders and, and crystals and coffee and alcohol uh, just to get from A to B. So uh, I don't know how to get out of it. So if you want to buy if you want to buy a painting, you better get one now. And, oh my God! Uh, that was <laughs> that was my artist statement. Wow! And it's it's crazy. It's crazy to think that I didn't do anything about it at the time. Just like stop, you know, change direction, do something else, you know, like uh, knit, <laughs> take up knitting or something like that. But I was, you know, you get focused on on one thing, and you know. But it sounds like painting had kind of become like this obligation that you have, um, maybe because you can do it so well, maybe that even kind of like reinforced the obligation. But it sounds like you were enjoying everything else about the painting except the actual painting. How were you able to change that or or did it change? Uh, that's what I'm doing. I'm working on now. Because I, I'm three years, uh, coming up in, I think, eight days, I'm three years sober of alcohol, probably six years sober of any kind of speed. I'm one year sober of sober, that dumb thing to say about smoking, but I, I quit smoking a year ago. So, I, like, the only thing oh, wow. I get up to now is a, is a cup of coffee. Uh, okay. But I've, I, and this is, I've mentioned this to other artist friends of mine. It's, it's like, if you, if, if you really love what you're doing, for God's sakes, don't get a bunch of vices wrapped up in it. Because right. at some point, you know, if you, if, if you, what you're doing artistically is keeping you happy and keeping your mind right. And then, you know, the other things that you're doing are killing you. It's, it's hard to pull it apart. You know, mm-hmm. it's like a malignant uh, cancer that's got a lot of tentacles. It's hard to, <laughs> It's hard to surgically remove that thing from from this thing you love. And I've done painting over the last five years, but it's it's really it's torturous. It really is a a brain hurting experience, like trying to focus. And you know, there's elements of addiction in, in it that, that, of like you know, uh, uh, alcoholics traditionally like not all of them, but but have like a a, a perfectionist attitude. Which sounds crazy, uh, but but yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot of alcohol alcoholics that that uh, claim they're they're perfectionists. I totally 100 percent get it. Um, large part of of what I'm doing now is trying to get rid of that, but still sort of maintain. So it's a delicate balance of like how to still do something that I'm happy with. At the, and at this point, I really I'm not painting for anybody else. At the time, I was like. I had a lot of a lot of plates spinning uh, about what the painting was going to look like for me, how other people would perceive the painting. Because I'm, I'm lucky in a sense that people like what I paint. You know, they get right, what I right. paint. You know, it's not complicated. For whatever you know reason, I've I've become kind of a moralist. You know, in some of the uh, some of the paintings that 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 are not illustrative, but you know, illustrative of a of a a setup or a scene that I would, I would do, you know, there's, it's always usually about uh, a poorly made decision or something you can't take back, you know, which oh, wow. I, I find endlessly, endlessly fascinating. You know, there's two different types of things that I've, I've, I've really been into in the last bunch of years that, that is stuck and is, is something that I'm, I'm, I'm actually interested in. One is uh, I put these, uh, I juxtapose magazine images together. I have this huge, I, I talk about it a lot, but it was, it's uh, to, anybody that'll listen, but I, I've, I've got this huge bank of images that I've, I've curated over forever. And, uh, and I wind up putting them up on the wall, just collaging them, juxtaposing, getting the energy from, from being able to mash a bunch of different things together and getting this whole different thing. I really, really like that. And when I got to a place where I didn't want to involve people in my stuff and, you know, I, I didn't have time to deal with uh, models or anything like that, or I didn't, you know, when I was mostly when I was driving trucks, delivering furniture, I would, it, these were things I could take to hotels that I was staying in and paint. I look at it now and, and, it, and it's, 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 it's sort of like, if I was could describe it to have it make sense, torn magazine images, uh, uh, taped to the wall. And then I just paint what you see on the wall. 
So it's a Trump rule thing. It's it's sort of a William Harnett. William Harnett did a lot of Trump rule stuff back, I think, in the 1800s. And it was like bits of clippings from books or newspapers and like hunting paraphernalia. And he would tack it to the wall and it looked really two-dimensional. It was sort of a, a two-dimensional setup. So, you know, you really weren't forcing three-dimensionality of it to a great degree on on the viewer, uh, it, it was just easier to take as something that is a, sort of a fool of the eye sort of situation. So I really, really like that. And just to sort of show that it wasn't my images that I was using, I, I always kept the tape marks in, you know, to show that it's something I'd taken from somewhere else. And and I I had I really liked the images that I that I had. And I wanted my paintings to move in that direction. Like, how do I get how do I get that in my painting? You know, Connor Thompson was talk, always talking about uh, uh, one of the best tools that he used to, to write was to retype. I think it was Hemingway, but the author, I might not be right on that, uh, but one of some Southern writer, I'm sure. Um, and so he would, he would retype a whole work on a typewriter just to get the rhythm of it and to understand the, understand the rhythm of the words and the, the feel of the keys and all that. I did that in painting uh, in these images a lot to really understand why I like the image. What about it was really interesting. I'm, I'm really obsessed with uh, my own personal aesthetic in my head because I don't, there's people like Tom Ford or um, Jeff Koons or just anybody who's got like a, a straight ahead, like a real serious idea of what they're making looks like. Right. You know, uh, Stanley Kubrick, anybody has a very specific look to what they're doing. Yeah, Kubrick is very much and, that. Uh, <laughs> it's not that I'm jealous of that. It is like uh, I'm, I'm, I'm endlessly fascinated about uh, creating a world. So anytime I can explore that through other people's work, like why I like something, uh, to try to sort of define an inner world, you know, the idea of like, what don't I like? <laughs> What right. do I like? And so doing these, doing these little smallish paintings of, of taped up magazine things, uh, I, I often wonder is like, is this lazy painting? <laughs> I think they're really, really good because, uh, you know, throwing two images together and really having that sort of energy, that's a very real thing. I mean, that's, you know, it's collaging. It's, and it, people who do it, love it. And I understand it. And it's, and, and there's, there's a good energy from it. Uh, but re-representing that spark in painting, I can't tell if, <laughs> if that's just lazy painting. You know what I mean? Well, I, uh, I think... what, what's the need? What's the need to take it to that extra remove to put it in paint? Well, but you know, nonetheless, I think there's like. I think there's like two sides to painting. You know, if you're an artist, and and what but I'm what I mean by that is someone that makes art and presents it to the world in some way you end up with this two-sided dichotomy. And, and one of them is, you know, why you're doing it for yourself and what it kind of a- attacks or, or fuels in you. And then also, like, how does it fill in this thing? Like, what are you communicating? It seems like the tape-up things that you're talking about, just from hearing you explain them, are almost explaining to people these little bits of what your paintings are actually about like your more proper paintings. Like a maps and legends sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah, no, I, I get, I definitely get that. If, if, if not in, if, if not visually, which, which it often is visually, but it's maybe emotionally, I definitely get that. And I mean, if it's sincere and it's personal to the artist, usually I, I think uh, people will pick up on that. And that's, I think that's why they, they, do respond to, cause I mean, you know, if, if you paint something that you love, the reason you put it out there, I mean, ostensibly really, you know, of course you gotta, you gotta be able to, to make a living, but you want somebody to identify with it. You want somebody to look at it and go, I see you. I get that. I, I wonder if you think it's lazy because in those things, you're literally saying like, here's the tape marks. These aren't my ideas. Right. But with right. your this own, somebody game, else's, you're saying this is, what this is about intrinsically in it. Right, right, right. Yeah. With the, with, with, with the setups, one of them that I, I did was, uh, I did, uh, it's called the sky is a brilliant shade of blue. It was a show I had at the Schindler with, uh, with Julie Elkins, she's a ceramicist. Yeah. And, uh, we each had, you know, our own respective works in it. But one of the, one of the setup, and I had, I had both different types of painting that I was doing. I was doing 
the little magazine paintings. And then I was doing uh, the bigger paintings were, were setups I'd done, sort of stage setups. One of them was a, uh, this guy making a pipe bomb and this girl falling in love with him, you know, <laughs> like seeing the, seeing, seeing this thing happen, you know, this, this shirtless guy standing there pouring gunpowder into uh, an iron pipe. And, you know, oh, she's wow. sitting there topless at, at a card table, like uh, with uh, latex gloves on, like mailing manifestos. And she like looks up at him and just has this sort of epiphany, like, oh, this is powerful. We're doing something. And, you know, anybody knows that if you're doing, if you're falling in love with somebody while you're doing something shysty, uh it's a very, uh, <laughs> uh, does not seem like a good idea. <laughs> If that's that's what you're basing your your emotional, uh, you know, your your emotional feelings on is is this like oh we are doing something now. <laughs> that seems to happen a lot though. It it does it does that is the the folly of the folly of of people. Um, but yeah, that whole thing I had to in the the warehouse I was living in I had to I was used my kitchen and I wanted to make it look like they're just sitting in some sort of raw kitcheny space above a porn theater or something. So I had to, I had to hang these gelled lights outside the window to make it look like neon. And I, I, there was tile on the floor, but I wanted to make it look, look like a uh, uh, hardwood. So I took these big pieces of masonite and, and sharpied in, uh, you know, hardwood floor lines, put them on the floor. I, I took a sink and hung, hung it on the wall. If you look in the painting, the sink's not actually attached the piping's not really attached to anything, which I forgot to, <laughs> I forgot to put in the paint. It's got, it's got a, it's got a P trap on it and two, uh, two taps that go down, you know, hot and a cold, but it's not, it's not really connected to anything. And then on the table, there's actually everything that you need to make a pipe bomb. You know, when I was a kid, I'd of course got the anarchist cookbook, like, you know, any good teenager would do. And uh, God, I was so terrified that, uh, <laughs> self-absorption i was so terrified when i was put that painting up it's like oh my god somebody's gonna <laughs> somebody's gonna say something that i've got all this, this this all the makings of a pipe bomb on this table like like I'm, i'd be teaching somebody that it's just silly everybody knows how to make a pipe bomb so um the two and the two people that uh in the painting they, they did not know each other there's something really crazy about uh, it's a perfect example of like uh, the painting just being sort of a record of the moment is uh, it took, I don't know, a month and a half, two months to like really outfit my kitchen. Like I moved everything just like a couple of feet to the left, you know, oh, just wow. to make it look right <laughs> uh, and to set it up and to get all the little bits in it. And, uh, and the two people don't know each other that are in the paintings and you just, just have to describe it to them, like what you're doing. And then, they just show up in the middle of nowhere and here's this, you know, Looney Tunes set up and the, you know, uh, it looks like a hot set, you know, like outside of it, everything looks totally normal. And then there's sort of this blast radius buffer of, of like lights and equipment. And then there's this space in the interior that looks like something, you know, and then they take their places and do their thing. And that's, there's something really magical about that, about that one moment where like, you know, you get in front of the camera and they're there and you're like, wow, this fucking looks awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, and then you snap the picture and uh, and you're like, well, I think we got it. And, um, yeah, everything after that's just sort of tedium. Well, I, I hate to say that because, any, cause, you know, uh, people, you know, wind up buying things. And, and there is a, a, a definitive love that goes into to the work, but it, it is, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a slow, quiet process that uh the end result being it's got to go up in a show so that you know the time clock on the wall is ticking and, and almost everything that you do or that anyone does creatively there is that process of like where you kind of have to you know do the shit like there's there's a part of the work that is shit you know with music it might be recording it um or mixing it or uh you know after you release Writing it doing it. all the metadata bullshit um you know, all these things. What it seems with you though, is you found a way to paint that also ties in all these, like, you know, these skills that 
you, you said you kind of picked your dad was very much the same way. This kind of, you know, person that can work with every type of medium and tool. Like you'd seem to, cause you're basically in these things doing something that if you're on a movie set, five or six different people would be doing and you're doing all of them. Like you're doing right, the lighting, right. you're doing the set design, you're, you're building the set. Like you're doing all that yourself. Yeah, no, that's totally fun. <laughs> that is interesting because it also, you know, I wonder if that helps with anxiety too. Um, I have a little bit of this in that um, I like to work in different mediums sometimes just because it it keeps – it prevents the main medium from becoming too precious and you protecting it too much almost like so that you can – kind of keep things and energy moving around in it and allow for enough fuck ups and interesting shit to happen that life stays kind of, I don't know, <laughs> fun. Um, cause you're right. Because if, if you're doing your set design stuff, like there's obviously a hierarchy of, of what you're good at. And so it will probably be challenging at certain parts of this. Like you'll, you'll still be learning at one level on this part, whereas at this part, maybe, you know, you're, you're very, um, competent. Um, and so it provides you a way to like actually still build all these skills, um, and kind of get better in, in different parts of your life, um, while doing something that at the end you can kind of guarantee is going to be pretty damn good. Right. Right. Like I, I can, I can give you a haircut, but it'll take two hours. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. And if and if it didn't turn out the way it was, I can fix it in post. <laughs> right. So going through this, when did you hook up with like Schindler Gallery? And um when when you started approaching like did you work with different galleries or um what was your thoughts on galleries? Were you just trying to like did you want to kind of find a home for your work or like was it more like I need someone to help me sell these things. Like how, how were you approaching like producing paintings and, and getting them out there? Ah, you know, it's really cloudy. This is where, uh, uh, alcoholism comes into it for geez, 25 years while I was, I was painting. I, there was, there was points. I mean, it wasn't like I was, uh, a totally useless bastard <laughs> during all of this. There was different times where I was able to to modulate it to you know you know be a, a real viable human. But at the same time, it it really pickles your thought process. The second you start drinking professionally, emotionally, you you kind of stop growing. And mm. uh, you you hear enough people will say, uh, you know, I've I've wasted friendships, I've wasted opportunities, I've wasted my time, I've wasted their time. You know, it's it's a lot of waste. You know, the one thing I could say is I probably painted probably painted around 300 paintings, you know, in all that time. I spent a lot of time painting, a lot of time painting. I mean, sitting a couple inches away from a canvas for, for that amount of time, even if you weren't drinking, you push away a lot of people because you don't have time for anything. I mean, I was always poor because, you know, obviously I was spending my if I wasn't spending my money on, on, on art or, you know, what I was doing, I was certainly, you know, spending it on, you know, alcohol and cigarettes and drugs. So I wasn't, I didn't go out and do anything or do much of anything. And I was really hard headed. You know, there's a long time where I didn't get a second job, you know, that I thought all I'm going to, you know, cause you have enough people that like your stuff and they will blow smoke up your ass and say, Oh, you should be doing this or you should be doing that. Or you, and you start buying into that and thinking, oh, I, sh you know, I should be doing this and maybe I should, but the reality of it is, you know, I <laughs> doing it yourself is a whole full-time occupation. You know, it's like trying to, it, you know, uh, it, you're not just the theater director who's creating, you know, your dumb little play, you know, you're also got to put asses in seats and go out and make the invites to track down the people and find the investors. And it's, yeah, the and, whole other side of the business. <laughs> Yeah, and I am crap at that. I am totally crap. Like I, I'm, I am not a business guy. <laughs> I should, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not good at paperwork. I'm not good at any of that stuff. I don't even have pictures of most of my paintings. 
uh, oh, because wow. at the time, I, you know, somebody somebody would uh, I wouldn't even have money for film for for the camera to take a picture of it. You know, they'd give me a check and I'd hand them the painting and that'd be it. So there's a lot of stuff out there I I don't even have pictures of. So, but there was a moment in time. There was two different moments in time where I probably could have gone on to uh, a place that, that that had really good solid representation that where I could have made a living doing something, but it never would have worked out anyway, because I'm not a fast painter. I'm a really, really slow painter. I'm always going to be a slow painter. That's never going to change. And the one thing that that galleries often look for is large enough paintings to justify a price so they can pay the rent. You don't see a lot of shows with a lot of tiny paintings at a corporate gallery where, you know, they can justify the prices on that to pay the rent. So usually they look right. for something of size and scale. I know you, you started talking, uh, started asking me about Kirsten. Um, I've <laughs> sort of gone in a totally different direction. So I'll, 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 I'll circle back to this, but in Kirsten, uh, I needed a, a local gallery. Somebody, uh, said you should go to the Schindler and show them what's going on with what you're doing. And in talking to Kirsten, she had a, a, she has a really, really good eye. She's certainly not afraid of uh, darker or more interesting works, uh, Mm -hmm. whatever they be, you know, and, and she often, you know, encourages that. So I, I thought this is, this seems like a, like a hand in glove sort of sort of situation. I'm I'm glad that she was interested in my work, and I, I I'm thankful that she uh, she let me show. You know, because you're talking about these other things that you do, like working with other mediums. Um, have you ever felt like you know what? This is now my art too. Or have you ever worked in like other like more sculptural areas or something like that? And then like you know what? Now I need to you know present this at the same because with your painting, you're saying you're by taking it to a gallery, you're, you're you know you're making that declaration of this is art. Like, has there been something else that you've been working with where you now are like shit? You know, actually, this is art too. Yeah, you know, over the years, and I never got it done because I was always, uh, you know, once you step out of your lane, as they say, and start doing something else, and and I I always would get terrible feedback from other people, and I, I finally, and it would used to get me back when I drank, it used to get me so mad, you know, because I'd tell people, I cannot paint anymore, I don't want to paint anymore, and they're like, oh, you're so good at it, and I'm like, oh, I'm good at other shit, and they're like, nah, stick to painting, <laughs> and I, that, that was really what I heard, like, a lot, and back, you know, like I said, back when I was, I, I was drinking, I would just resent the hell out of that. I'd be like, whatever, like I can, I could, you know, but, and then I would never do it. I'd never do anything else. You know, I talk about it. I'd write it down. I'd make lists of it, but you know, I never got it done. Like I remember at one, at one point, uh, you know, I was really uh, into the idea of, of uh, sort of the cult of personality of an artist. And I, and, and in a very funny way, I wanted to make uh, just to, to poke fun at it. I, I wanted to make something called adventures in art and I was going to make uh, uh, lead figurine sets, you know, where you, you the box, you take the box, uh, you open the box, there's like five little little figurines, like something you'd see in some sort of Civil War set, you know. And then the, oh, wow. inside the box, there's like a little fold-out diorama, cardboard diorama that you could pose your figurines in front of. And so I was going to do uh, a set of models and then a set of patrons and then uh, – you know, I do a, a set of <laughs> myself in, in, def- in different uh, uh, various uh, costumes that I'd be wearing at the time because, you know, I told a lot of stories. There's a lot of stories that came out of a lot of drinking. And, uh, you know, I did, people just got tired of hearing that shit after a while, but everyone knew them, you know, that, that were my friends, you know, I'd say, oh, and then I, this happened. And they'd be like, yes, yes. So anyway, I, <laughs> I thought it would be it would be funny to sort of you know take the piss out of it to to put on a show uh, and sell these these figurines as like a reproducible sort of thing you know like I could have you know you'd actually be able to go and buy a box of them and then you could recreate your own stories that I've told a million times. Oh and, my uh, god! And it would be it would be this 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 funny you know cult of personality artist thing. Never did it. I got I got really really stuck in the whole uh, uh, leaded figurine uh, part of it of 
of making molds. And I've, I've since, I've, I'm still obsessed with the idea that I really want to get into making molds and it's, it's something that haunts me. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, there's that I wanted to do this, um, latch hook rug thing where I was, uh, latch hooking rugs with, uh, with like pornographic images, I could sell the kits. Like you'd be able to buy a finished rug, you know, at that would be hanging up on the wall as the piece. And then people, instead of buying prints, they could buy kits. So, I mean, just, just sort of like uh gimmicky stuff like that, <laughs> but it's, it, uh, to me, you know, I mean, that's, that's the fun of, of, of sculpture. It, it's, it's not a serious thing, but, um, just the dumb ideas of it. I really like, I like having the ideas. I really wish I could finish up on the ideas and actually get them done, but I've, I've just sort of been stuck painting. But I, I and then I came up with a, a series idea that was about the death of an I, death of ideas called, I was going to call it context, context, context. And it was going to be this uh, YouTube series. And it was all about, you know, it's a great idea until you get mired in the details of it. And then the whole thing falls apart. <laughs> oh my God. You know, <laughs> Like I had uh, uh, Angie Baskaki was having a show. Uh, she's a uh, clothing designer. Uh, she had a show called Ghost. It was sort of a, uh, I, I can't really do it justice about exactly what it is, but sort of a uh, haunted by boyfriend's past, I suppose. And okay. she uh, and I, she wanted different artists to uh, participate in the show with that theme. So I thought, oh, I'm going to get, I'm going to make these uh, lucite cubes, one foot by one foot by one foot. And I'm going to get seven different people to wear seven different articles of clothing. I'm going to have somebody wear a hat. I'm going to have somebody wear a pair of panties, somebody wear a t-shirt, you know, uh, somebody wear some socks. And then I'm going to put them in these cubes, put little holes in them so you could smell their personal scent and that was going to be the ghost and inside there was the cubes and inside was the guts, you know, and that would be, you know, haunted by the smell of smell of an ex lover, you know, sort of thing. Right. And I found, I found a bunch of people that naturally had smelled good. Uh, I got a whole, <laughs> whole kooky story about this girl in a pair of panties. Um, but like I had, uh, you know, and I, I cause I remember, uh, I would find hats everywhere. And I remember walking down the street, I was picked up this hat and I smelled it, which is I, just a quirk of mine. And it smelled so hot. I have no idea what this guy was putting in his hair. But uh, <laughs> I remember uh, I held onto that hat for a while. And after a while, it just started smelling like laundry. And that's, I was, I never got the idea off the ground with her. I had to do something for the show. I had to do something else. I did a stereoscopic uh, image. Uh, for and uh, the ghost cube thing didn't work, and I had like two, three hundred dollars worth of lucite squares. And I, oh, what God. stopped me was you know, uh, I I had problems uh, melting the lucite together, you know, to create the cubes. I just yeah. wasn't set up to do it. You have to have the right saw. You have to. There's a whole thing to it. <laughs> so anyway, I, that never got done. But I was telling somebody the idea of it. You know, um, you know the to be haunted by your lover's smell or somebody else's smell. It's like, and they said, there's no emotional attachment to anything. You're just smelling somebody's laundry. And I thought, God damn it. Oh wow! <laughs> it was such a good idea. I thought, <laughs> and then they shot it down really, really quickly. And it's like, you're right. Oh, well. So you, you've not really brought anything outside of painting yet as what you would call art. Uh, yeah, no, not really. I've focused, I've focused on painting. I've done a couple of things, but they're all, it's all been like personal stuff. You know, it's just, uh, not anything that I'd be, I'd, I'd put on display for anybody. Uh, I was really interested, uh, uh for a while in the, in the idea of, uh, of, uh, mostly because I, I, uh, I would do so many dangerous things with saws when I was drinking, um, you know, I used to have to, I had a warehouse and people would leave couches there and, uh, and I had a chainsaw and I'd often have to chainsaw off the couches and throw them in the garbage. And I thought one of these days I'm going to hit a bolt and it's going <laughs> to bounce back and, and take an arm off or a hand or something like that. And so I, I got really, and then I thought, you know, I could make myself a prosthetic 
And uh, <laughs> oh, wow. so I got really, really obsessed with the ideas of prosthetics. And, um, and then I, I had the idea of, of creating prosthetics that would be, uh, that, that would be uh, molded uh, specifically for, for sexual positions, you know, right. like uh, prosthetics that you'd wear to just hold on to the edge of a table or oh, you know, wow. something like that. But, wow! Uh, yeah, so it's, not like I'm, it's not like I'm. No, it's not. It's not like I'm short of ideas. Like I've got, I and and whether they're successful ideas or not, I can't say. But it's it's uh, uh, one of the reasons why I I, I stopped being like uh, I'm, I'm. I realized a while back that I I'm never going to. I'm I'm not looking to to paint on any grand scale anymore. I mean I've. Uh, I, I'm not looking to have any sort of solo show. I'm not, I've stopped painting for other people. Uh, Cause recently I've, I've just tried to, uh, I brought this up early, just trying to untangle all my vices from painting, mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. smoking. I mean, just trying to think, of, you know, at, uh, eight months ago or a year ago, I thought, how in the world am I going to paint without smoking? I mean, that's bananas. I'm not going to be able to do that. And then, um, in the last year i've i figured it out somehow i've i got a studio now i go to i used to not look forward to painting now i'm i've uh, i look forward to sitting down and and actually you know putting paint on canvas it's a very relaxing thing i really don't know how i got from a to b on it um and i think the results are just as good if not better than well, I, I think they're I think they're better than what I I was doing, uh, and that to me is miraculous in itself. Is that I can enjoy painting again? You would think, oh well, if you enjoy it, uh, maybe you should you know get back into doing something with it. And I thought, you know, I can't deal with obviously I can't deal with stress <laughs> at all, not very well. So uh, yeah, I've kind of given up on the idea of of uh, sort of professionally painting anymore and well, that, focus more on just making myself happy with making paintings. And Well, you know, that's the thing that people, you know, there's a lot of talk nowadays about like kind of like self-care and this kind of thing, but I can really relate to you on that stress aspect because um, I have some health issues and stuff that over the course of my life, I've re- had to realize that like I can't do things the way that, a normal person would do it. So like if I wanted to become, you know, or do any job really, like I have to find a way that works with my fucked upness and my issues <laughs> that like allows me the space to, you know, take anxiety, take um, my energy levels into account and actually, you know, where where you can do stuff and actually kind of like it not kill you. You actually be able to like flourish and live and thrive as a human being while executing these things. So it sounds like you've done that with painting. Like you've figured out how to like be the functional you that isn't having the energy and life sucked out of to do these things to actually be able to do that. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not all the way there. I got a I got a long road ahead of me on trying to figure out uh, this stuff. But I I I'm just doing it, taking one painting at a time. I gotta I gotta stop making paintings for other people. I think that's a big part of it. I gotta stop doing any anything that 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 I don't have some sort of very clear emotional investment in. And, uh, it's, it's gotta be really worth it for you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and, and because that's what makes me happy, you know, is just trying to like, you know, make sense of, you know, make sense of the the mush that's in my brain, you know, and, uh, I'm going to be in a situation coming up where I'm, you know, I'm going, moving to the desert. I'm going to take care of my folks, but I've got, you know, while, while I'm there, I got, uh, I got a workshop to paint in. You know, I've got to uh, have all the tools to work with and, and a lot of time to do it. So uh, I, I'll, I'll be in a good place to, to figure out what's, uh, you know, figure it out. You know, I've never, I've never been in that, in a situation before where I've had time to do it. 
you know, uh, time is, is, you know, really valuable commodity uh, to everybody and just, just trying to make something work or just get into good habits, uh, having the space to do that. That's a, that's a, a huge, huge luxury. So uh, I got, I got a whole bunch, I beat myself up for years uh, drinking and on drugs and smoking. And I've got to find some way to, to just take care of myself and my body and my brain and, you know, I've, I've thought about it. I've got maybe, I'll be lucky if I have 25 more years. I'm 51 now and I can have more, but you know, I could walk out of here and, you know, get hit by a bus or I get lung cancer in five years or, you know, any, anything could happen. And, uh, and I know like 25 years, it's like, well, Jesus Christ, 25 years, but man, 25 years is nothing. That'll disappear in a, in a heartbeat. Like, all this time that I, don't know, I spent stressing about bullshit that doesn't need to be stressed about. Like I'm looking forward to actually, you know, doing, uh, doing what I have been doing, but it, at least with a, with a better outlook on it. Oh yeah. Well, kind of speaking to, you know, your experience, you know, going through recovery and getting sober. Um, I mean, it seems like artists, they, they, they kind of are a little more prone to it maybe because of how much they feel or things like this, um, or maybe because of being othered in some way. Um, but it seems like it, it's, it's one of those things that most of the folks that I've talked to that have gone through this, you know, they wish they had done it sooner. Um, they're kind of sometimes amazed by what they thought the reality of it would be like that they wouldn't have a life after it. And it's weird because I've also seen parallels into that in relationships. When people are in relationships with people, they'll be like, Oh, I'll never be able to function without this person or you know, some like long-term relationship. Right. Um, how has that, that process been for you in terms of, you've talked about it a little bit in terms of like the actual process of painting, but for the whole size of your life, like how has that, how has uh, getting sober been? Well, you know, it's a funny thing when you uh, when when you you asked me to to do this. Uh, one of the things that that uh, I, was, I was a little bit reticent about doing, it. I still am, but <laughs> I I spent a lot of not like everything that that, that uh, you know the last you know twenty five years or so was was uh, was a bad thing. I mean, it, it wasn't. I mean, it was, it was my life. It was it was fun. Uh, a good chunk of it. Some of it was really frightening. Uh, but uh, I've the process of getting sober. A lot of it is uh, in step work. You wind up having to do uh, a lot of uh, looking into the past to figure out where things went wrong and, uh, and the process of sort of itemizing your faults and all that. And uh, I spent a lot of time looking at all that. And it's, it's a delicate balance with not forgetting the past, not living in the past, not being resentful or regrettable about the past, but, but uh, you know, being able to embrace it. But uh, nonetheless, you know, you could kick yourself for saying <laughs> I, was, I was addicted to something that dictated a giant chunk of what I did you know, for a long time. And, uh, and, you know, you can't change it. And I, I don't, you know, I don't stress about that, but, uh, I can say that, that now that I'm clear headed about myself and what I'm doing and what I'm hope to be doing in the future, uh, it's a lot easier to, uh, to look towards that. Certainly. That, that, I and mean, that makes sense. And it's weird because I'm, I'm also like the way you're kind of explaining that. Um, I think some also people might also kind of be able to relate to that and, you know, in jobs they've had, like, cause what that really is, is it's a view of yourself that you had for a long period of time. And I, I think people can kind of even get into that with like, you know, like maybe they had a job for 20 years or something like that, where they thought this was the limit. This was as good as it could be. This was, you know, my reality and nothing can ever escape that. Um, and kind of hoping for any more is kind of pointless because, because what you've really done with this is, is you've kind of like redefined the possibilities of, of reality for yourself, you know, against everything that you've known as real. 
<laughs> which is kind right. of like right. fucking crazy. You know, I mean, it's like a huge, a huge thing, you know? Um, right. It takes, right. like, how do you think you had the, uh, the fucking, I don't know what to call it, but like the, the, the strength to even consider that you could be more than what you were for so long. I, you know, it's a funny thing, uh, about that. I, uh, it's a little bit of magic. And, uh, if I, if I examined it too close, uh, on, because it, it, uh, trying to quit anything is, uh, man, it's a hard thing. I, I, I think it's harder. It was, it was harder for me to quit smoking than it is to quit drinking, which is crazy. Because oh, wow. I went everywhere with a Kroger bag full of loose beers. <laughs> and oh, wow. I, uh, I remember the day that I quit. Uh, I'd felt that, and I'd explained this in, in, uh, in AA, uh, you know, in speaking about it before. But uh, I had a lot of angels looking over my shoulders for a long time. And I was been in some really harrowing situations where, you know, I could have gone to jail or gone to the hospital or, you know, killed myself or somebody else. And somehow, uh, you know, uh, I had, you know, something looking over my shoulder that managed to keep me from, you know, jumping into the abyss. And, uh, and then towards the end, uh, I felt all of that was gone. Like it was a visceral feeling like uh, I'm, I'm doing dumber and dumber things. I'm gonna, you know, Get in, a, get in a truck and drive and kill somebody or myself. And there's, there's no going to be, <laughs> there's no reversing that. And, um, and I realized I had to quit. It was, it was uh, like God gave me uh, intelligence and he gave me some skills and he gave me a talent. And uh, I'm just, I'm just shitting on it. You know, I'm always going to be, this this loser if i don't you know pull myself out of this yeah it sounds like you were almost like feeling like you were kind of on your own now uh on my own in the sense that that i didn't have any sort of divine intervention that was going to pull me out of whatever mess you know yeah uh and then i i just i just said i've got to do something and then uh i said i'm going to do it tomorrow and then, uh, amazingly, tomorrow came around, and I had two beers left in the fridge, and I went in and I drank them. <laughs> and then I went around and picked up all the cans. I found them in all the weird, weirdest places, and I stuck them in the trash and then went to a meeting. And I guess, uh, you know, trying to, trying to find sobriety uh, and sticking with it or having it – is a, it is a weird thing because it's, it's hard to define what – what made something work, you know, what makes that work? Um, I guess like kind of wrapping up, um, what are you working on right now that you're kind of stoked on? You said you're getting ready to move out to the desert. Um, if folks are like wanting to see, do you have any shows coming up that are planned or, you know, how can folks see your work? Like <laughs> anything you want to mention in particular? Uh, Nah, you know, I, I, I've been threatening to do this thing called a uh, hundred shitty paintings. Uh, right. And, and that was, that was going to be the method for me to get from A to B. Like I was, that was going to be me figuring it out. So I'm kind of in that place right now. I'm doing a, I'm i I'm, I'm working on my hundred shitty paintings, but uh, I'm only on painting number two, but uh, so far I think they're, uh, <laughs> they're kind of bangers. Uh, so, you know, uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't see myself showing, uh, except anything, except on social media, you know, just like putting it out there, like, eh, I made this, check it out. I, 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 that may, all that may change in the future. If I can figure out how to, how to do something, uh, how to be quicker about it or, but, uh, trying to, trying to think of it anymore is, is something that's going to like, uh, 
you know, pay my bills. Like, uh, that's just too stressful. (laughs) I'd rather just sit and quietly make, make little paintings for myself and my friends and, and, uh, and, and be content with that. And and that probably, uh, now that I think about it, probably should have been what I was doing from the get go and then just doing something else for a living. But you know, whatever, got to put asses in seats. And that concludes my interview with Jack Lawrence. You can view some of his work on the website of the Eric Schindler Gallery. You can also follow him on Instagram at JackLawrence2. To hear more episodes, check out our website, VariousThingsPodcast.com, or on your favorite streaming service under the name Various Things Podcast. This has been Various Things. Thanks for listening.